This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, March 10th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media. Thanks for being with us, with me on the phone from, well, somewhere in the Arkansas River Valley is... Uh, Michael Tilly, who is with Talk Business and Politics, our regular Friday starting uh, voice. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well today. Doing, I think I've dried off for the most part, but I'm doing well. <laughs> and you are, you're not in your office per this conversation. No, I'm, I'm, little, I'm back, in, uh, back in what I call the home country, back in Johnson County, in Lamar, Arkansas. All right. Well, let's start our conversation about a um, what has kind of become a controversial plan for a commercial and multifamily residential development that is going to be on Old Greenwood Road. What can you tell us about this? Well, it's been a project that's been um, the owners, uh, Sarah and Brian Goodwin, have been pushing for some time. It's a tract of land that's been just open um, for a long time. They're on Old Greenwood Road. Most folks don't know it. Um, but uh, Sarah and Brian have a plan to bring in, um, they had an initial plan to do an eight-story building, but they've worked with residents and they've got it down to a compromise of six stories, multi-use, uh, so you've got some commercial retail, you'll have some uh, residential part of it. There's also plans for uh, some duplex, a couple, maybe two duplex sidings on this property. The reason it's controversial is that it backs up to an older neighborhood, an established neighborhood, and there's some people in that neighborhood um, who don't want this tall building looking down on them. Um, but the problem is the zoning now allows, it, in fact, the zoning now allows for an eight-story building. They can put it up. But overall, it's a $10 million plus project. Um, Jackson Goodwin, he was with Nickel Griffin Engineers. He's also Sarah and Brian's son, but he's a, been an engineer, civil engineer for some time. Um, you know, he talked about all of the different ways that they agreed to compromise with the neighborhood, the local neighbors, and they just, they just weren't having it. And so a the planning commission, Forcing Planning Commission denied what was planning, a uh, planned zoning district request this gives them the chance to have some flexibility on how they use it however the trade-off for the city is that if you get a pzd what's called a pzd then you uh typically almost always have to go above and beyond the standards in terms of building materials in terms of drainage in terms of you know how it looks um, traffic issues that kind of thing but nevertheless, the neighborhood, the neighbors were still opposed to it, and, and many of them were opposed to it. So the Planning Commission rejected it. Long story short, they had a, uh, the Forest Board of Directors on Tuesday looked at two items, one to give them to, to uh, reverse the um, uh, um, Planning Commission vote, and then to also approve what's called a, a land use, a um, uh, master land use um, amendment. And the board voted 4-3. It was controversial. It was a very sometimes heated hearing. There were probably 120 folks at the meeting. Most of them were there to oppose this project, but it's going to go forward. Um, and Kyle, that's probably 
a good thing that part of town probably could use um, that mix of development. It's already starting to grow. It's it's between it's almost halfway between the Arkansas Best, the the Arc Best first corporate headquarters building, and down to Rogers. So it's a growing commercial area. Um, and as some people have said, it's good to see a ten plus million dollar project going more in the heart of the city rather than out east or out south of the city. So uh, unless there's some kink in this project, um, they plan to have some designs by later this year and uh, maybe start construction by mid next year or a little later. But um, it's it's going to be um, – I know what Brian and uh, what Sarah and Brian have done in the past. They're not cut around the corner type folks. Um, it's probably going to be a pretty good-looking project. What were the um, concerns by the nearby residents that that they didn't want this to happen? Well, it's traffic. It's the height of that building. They didn't want people looking down in their neighborhoods, although I think that will be alleviated. One of the things that they agreed to, that the owners agreed to, was a 25-foot buffer full of trees, and that was approximately – 14% of the usable property. They said, look, um, originally they proposed a 20-foot buffer. The neighbors came back and said, how about a 25-foot buffer? And they said, okay. They also agreed to only have the egress, the exit and entrance on the old Greenwood Road, not an, not an, uh, an adjacent road that's closer to the neighborhood. They agreed to that. Um, but it just came down to, and, and the hearing got a little interesting. I mean, I was just waiting they were talking, they're afraid that they'd let sex offenders live in the duplexes. I mean, it just, there was a lot of, I think, unwarranted um, speculation, a lot of fear about uh, the project that was unnecessary and overblown. So I think the board, you know, at least four members of the board saw fit that it was a reasonable project. All right, let's move from Old Greenwood Road to Greenwood, where there will be a new Sebastian County Library. Uh, it looks like it. It's taken another step forward. What will this new library building include? Well, it'll it'll be a modern type library. Right now, the Sebastian County, kind of the Sebastian County, Scott County Library is lo- located in a little 5,700 square foot. I say little, but by way of libraries, it's 5,700 square foot near downtown Greenwood. It was built in 1965. This new facility would be double that. 10,400 square foot, about 4.3 million is the estimated cost now. Um, and they're, you know, they're making some pretty good moves uh, to getting to getting it up. Um, one of the things they have to do there, where Ken Howie Ten Ten Spur meets 71 people in this part of the world will know there's a that's where it will be built. But right now it is a big rock pile, as uh, Special <laughs> County Jeff Steve Hopes has said. And they've got, so they've got to now find uh, the resources and, and I guess maybe the money and get that property ready for the facility. So um, hopefully um, this will uh, get up sooner rather than later. It'll be a great asset uh, for not only Greenwood, for, but for the southern part of Sebastian County. Um, I'm one of those, I guess, folks who believe strongly in the value of libraries even in the age of internet. So uh, it's a good project, good development for that part of uh, Sebastian County. And folks who are coffee aficionados in Fort Smith had some news this week. 
Yeah, well, um, apparently when you people, <laughs> I, I, we've come to learn that people are very um, attached to their coffee shops, very attached. And so when black owners of Black Bison Coffee acquired Sweet Bay, which has been kind of a, I wouldn't say iconic, but definitely a well-known coffee shop in Fort Smith for since the late 90s, there was a lot of trepidation, a lot of room, rumor, you know, fear-mongering, you know, gosh, they're going to lay, they're going to shut all our stores down. Well, that's not the case. Uh, but Terry Thompson and Josh Palmer, they own Black Bison. They had an opportunity to buy it. The owners of Sweet Bay are wanting to retire. Um, and so they, they bought it. Uh, there are three locations in the metro area now. The one in Van Buren will close, but the two in Fort Smith, the one near Creekmore Park and then the other one out of east on Rogers Avenue, those will stay open. Um, both Carrie and uh, Josh told us, told reporter Tina Dale, they're going to try to keep all the employees they can. Uh, I think Josh even said we've got uh, 40 employees now. Um, and, you know, they hope to have that and more as they grow. So um, I think it's a good move. It's it's always good when you can have uh, a local business person who's ready to retire, is able to sell that to some other local folks. Um, too often, these some of these facilities get acquired by out-of-state franchisees, and they just don't doesn't have the same local flair so hopefully i hopefully this is a good move for for sweet bay it better be because my youngest daughter is a uh, um, i think probably half her college fund has gone to sweet bay <laughs> but um so i hope it's there it, it will be there for her when she returns if and I hope that sometime soon. All right. You can read about all of this and so much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, uh, thank you so much for your time. We'll do it again next week. I always appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. Walton Art Center presents Complexion's Contemporary Ballet, performing Stardust from Bach to Bowie. The first piece is an exploration of love and alliances inspired by Johann Sebastian Bach. Stardust is the second piece featuring glam rock-inspired costumes that channel the iconic look of David Bowie. Tickets and information at waltonartscenter.org. Arkansas Community Foundation supports local ARCF offices to help Arkansans learn how to make an impact through investing in long-term solutions and local giving opportunities in every corner of our state. More at arcf.org. Still to come on today's show, concern about a proposed timber management project in the Ozark St. Francis National Forest, Footloose on stage in Fort Smith, and why it isn't easy to write a rom-com. Entries are still open for NPR's annual Tiny Desk Contest. The 2023 contest is open to all unsigned musicians through March 13th. All you need is an original song, a video of you performing it, and a desk. For the full list of entry rules and to see both current and past entries, go to tinydeskcontest.npr.org. Thank you. Thank you. A bill to amend Arkansas law to remove obscene public library materials and prosecute librarians who knowingly provide such materials to minors passed the House Judiciary Committee yesterday. Senate Bill 81 was rejected by the Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, but brought back Thursday by co-sponsor Representative Justin Gonzalez, a Republican from Okolona. 
So after this bill went down in flames earlier this week, uh, I worked with a couple members of this committee to get, get some changes and make some clarifications, and that's all this amendment does. It clarified that, that this is not a book banning bill that it and took, took out the removal from all language and added relocated within a media center that is not accessible to minors. Representative Andrew Collins, a Democrat from Little Rock, questioned Gonzalez about how libraries will manage such censored collections. You're saying that it would have to not be accessible to minors under the age of 18. Does that mean that it would have to be an 18 and up section? And I guess, how many libraries even have an 18 and up section? Representative Gonzalez said no provision is cited in the bill, but librarians could keep censored materials behind front desks. Representative Jeremiah Moore, a Republican from Clarendon, questioned Gonzalez about punishing librarians, as outlined in the bill, for knowingly providing access to restricted materials. My, my question, I guess, is ultimately who decides what is restricted and what is not? So if they go through the appeal process, it would be the, the city council, quorum court, or school board, if they use that section of the bill. If someone decides to, um, to file a lawsuit or whatever against the, the library or librarian, then that, that, that's a judicial process that would go, you know, a judge, prosecutor would, would have to press charges and then a, a judge would ultimately decide whether that's obscene material or harmful to, harmful to children. Opponents have repeatedly testified that such arbitration will overwhelm local and county governments. But the bill's sponsor, Republican Senator Dan Sullivan from Jonesboro, on Tuesday strongly disagreed. The people in our quorum court and our city councils volunteered, spent thousands of dollars to run to do their job. That's all we're asking them to do. Just do your job. Library system administrators have testified the bill will burden state library systems. Seventeen other state legislatures are also deciding similar measures. SB 81 will next be considered by the full House. Arkansas teachers would be forbidden from referring to students by their preferred name or pronouns under a bill making its way through the state legislature. Members of the House Education Committee yesterday voted to send House Bill 1468 to the full House for a vote. Matt Sharp, senior counsel with the group Alliance Defending Freedom, said the bill is needed to help teachers avoid discipline or termination for choosing not to affirm a student's gender identity. Sharp said the bill enhances free speech protections for teachers. But Sarah Everett, policy director with the ACLU of Arkansas, said the bill also seeks to limit the First Amendment rights of educators who do want to use a student's preferred pronouns. The LEARNS Education Package reform is now law. After being signed by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders this week, Arkansas's Secretary of Education, Jacob Oliva, says the work to implement the contents of the bill has to begin soon in order to be ready for the next school year. When you're talking about creating conditions for students to be successful, we have to act with urgency. We, we have students that are in kindergarten for one year this year. In third grade, we have seniors in high school. So anytime we're working on supporting and creating conditions to make sure those opportunities are even better, you have to, to act with urgency and make sure that we get it right. He says the navigation process for implementation will include work groups to consider six different aspects of the law and its new rules and regulations dealing with things like workforce and early learning environment. We're going to put out a statewide call, say we're looking for teachers, parents, um, school administrators, business people, concerned citizens, anybody that wants to, to sign up to be considered to join a work group. We're going to put a statewide call and we're going to go through there and get these work groups established and 
and start navigating uh, through that process to, to act with urgency. Secretary Oliva made his comments during an interview with Roby Brock with our partner, Talk Business and Politics. You can find the entire conversation at talkbusiness.net. The Fayetteville Department of Parks, Natural Resources, and Cultural Affairs is asking for input tomorrow about one of the oldest city parks. A reimagining session will be hosted at Walker Park tomorrow from 10 to 1. The park opened in 1949. In case of inclement weather, the event will be inside the Yvonne Richardson Community Center on Rock Street. A new book about a little-known Navy tradition, written by a pair of retired professors from John Brown University, will be released tomorrow at Ivory Bill Brewing in Siloam Springs. Midwatch in Verse by Gary Gwynn and Dave Johnson explores the tradition of the dock log on naval ships being written as a poem. Dave Johnson says he discovered the tradition while doing research about something else ran into a 1959 article that had been published in the uh, United States Navy Institute Institute's uh, magazine called Proceedings. And this uh, uh, this individual who wrote the, the article was a, a, a retired naval captain, and he described the the tradition, along with a lot of examples that he had run into uh, in his own research, and all of those examples were from the World War II period, and that's really where this where this started. Co-author Gary Gwynn says reading the poems is like inspecting a time capsule. All of these writers had experienced or were about to experience the combat of World War II at sea, and they're sitting there, and what comes out in the poems is the incredible humanity of these young men. They're in a war, the most inhumane experience imaginable, and yet their humanity comes out, their sense of humor comes out, their love of, of home and their love of their ship. And so the point, uh, some of these guys didn't survive the war. The deck logs were usually mundane, but the first entry for a calendar year from the watch that ran from midnight to 4 a.m. was written in verse. The book covers 29 specific ships and the poems written by officers on them. Gwen says tomorrow night's book release will include discussions about the work required to create the book. We're going to tell some stories about what it was like to do some of this. Like We'll talk a little bit about what the process was like in discovering the people and the poems and so forth. The book releases tomorrow night at 7 at Ivory Bill Brewing Company in Siloam Springs. And two new mild ales, one a faithful rendition of a World War II-era British mild ale, will also be released at the event. And we'll hear much more from the authors about the book on an upcoming edition of Ozarks at Large. The number one ranked Arkansas men's indoor track team and the number two ranked Razorback women's track team in Albuquerque this weekend for the NCAA Indoor Championships, both teams entering the meet as SEC champions. And the Arkansas men's basketball team will face number 18 Texas A&M tonight in the SEC Tournament quarterfinals after defeating Auburn 76-73 last night. And we'll spring forward this weekend, moving clocks ahead one hour Sunday morning to move into daylight savings time. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review. I'm Pete Hartman. Have your weekend all planned out? If you caught some of this week's segments, you've got some great stuff to choose from. One of them is Saturday's Ability Ball, a fundraising event for Lifestyles Incorporated. This week, I spoke with Executive Director John Newman. The organization was started by uh, Carol Hart, who created an organization that helps individuals with disabilities live, 
work, build relationships and natural supports in our community. And that's what our team tries to assist with, helping families uh, of these young men and women uh, live as independently as possible. And that's why this fundraiser, I know, is so very important to y'all. Again, March 11th, what can people expect on this evening? Uh, people can expect a fantastic fundraiser, uh, food and drink. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, for more information, you can visit Lifestyles, Inc. Uh, that's our website. There's ticketing information there. We're going to have a performance by our performing arts program. Uh, we have Funk Factory, a local band, signed up to perform. And so I think it's going to be a wonderful event. It'll be the first abilities ball that we've hosted and so we're really excited to to kick off a new fundraiser john newman executive director of lifestyles saturday's ability ball will take place at the fayetteville public library again for tickets lifestylesinc.org coming up on monday march 13th the fayetteville public library's center for innovation speaker series continues with an appearance and talk with boots riley this series kicked off last year with a visit from Henry Rollins of the historic punk band Black Flag. Melissa Taylor, manager for the Center for Innovation, says Monday's talk should be just as interesting. We're happy to, um, to follow up from Henry Rollins with uh, our 2023 big speaker for the innovation series, um, Boots Riley. Mm. And, you know, part of our goal for this is our Center for Innovation has this beautiful film studio, this beautiful recording studio, podcasting space, and... One, we want to provide access and opportunity to our community, but we also want to inspire this creativity and um, encourage the people that are currently using these spaces and people who want to use these spaces, encourage them to come out and listen to a different thought leader and listen to someone who's, you know, gone a different direction in this industry, whether it's music and film in this case. And um, we're just very excited to to welcome Boots. I don't know this individual at all. Who, you know, wh wh what's the history with this guy? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to tell you. Um, I think Boots Riley might be best known for his 2018 film, Sorry to Bother You. Um, on the surface, that was a film about telemarketers. Um, once you watch the film, it becomes much deeper than that. You never really know what's about to happen in that film. And he, he's an out-of-the-box filmmaker. And he's also coming out with a new series uh, about to premiere at South by Southwest this weekend. Um, and so he'll be here on Monday to talk about his new series called I'm a Virgo, which will be premiering um, through Amazon Prime Video. Wow. He's also known for his music from the hip hop group called The Coup. So if you've been listening to hip hop in the 90s, all the way through the 2000s, you've heard of Boots Riley. So um, whether or not you think you've heard of Boots, I, I think he's been out there. I think you've heard him a little bit. Again, this is Monday. It begins at six o'clock with the award-winning director, writer, musician, Boots Riley. Again, that I'm a Virgo series coming out this uh, summer. Do you know anything about it? I do. Um, I don't want to give it away, sure. but I will say that there's a trailer that just came out okay. on Amazon Prime Video, and I encourage everyone to watch it. But it's about a, a young man living in Oakland who is 13 feet tall. He is 13 feet tall, and that's not the most interesting thing about him. He wants people to know that there are more interesting, interesting things about him, things that he cares about, like he's a Virgo, for example. But of course, like Boots Riley, um, we're going to delve into like a little bit of surrealism, maybe a little bit of magical realism, and um, it's always deeper than what's on the surface. Melissa Taylor with the Fayetteville Public Library's Center for Innovation. Monday's Evening with Boots Riley is a first-come, first-served event. You don't need to register. For more, FAYLIB.org. Next week's Community Spotlight segments will include a visit from the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. They have a cool event coming up March 15th. 
and we'll hear about a program that Canopy NWA and Welcome Health are collaborating on. It helps refugee immigrants with some of the health exams that are required of them. Remember, the Community Spotlight, weekdays during Morning Edition and right here on Ozarks at Large. I'm Pete Hartman. You can email me at pete at kuaf.com. Hope your weekend is easy, and remember, your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. The Buffalo River Watershed Alliance has filed a federal lawsuit against the U.S. Forest Service to block a timber management project scheduled to begin on the Ozark-St. Francis National Forest. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Gordon Watkins is president of the Buffalo River Watershed Alliance, headquartered in Newton County. The nonprofit is a plaintiff in a federal lawsuit filed last month to protect a place called Robert's Gap. Robert's Gap is an area that a lot of people in Arkansas probably have never heard of and, and never seen, but it's it's a really special place because it incorporates the headwaters of five iconic Arcan- Arkansas streams, the most prominent of which is the Buffalo National River. It joins the, the southern boundary of the Buffalo National River. Uh, it also includes the White River, the War Eagle Creek, Kings River, and the Mulberry River all originate in this in this area, not not all necessarily within the boundaries, but within the adjacent to the boundaries. So it's a it's a special uh, area. It's often called the headwaters area. Back in 2017, the U.S. Forest Service proposed commercial logging as well as sending controlled burns and herbicides to improve this large parcel of Ozark National Forest, which spans nearly 40,000 acres in Newton and Madison counties. And what alerted us to this project was, and it's national forest land predominantly, although it does contain a significant amount of private inholders that live within the uh, the national forest, and and they're free to utilize their properties as any other private landowner would. Uh, and so, whatever whatever we discuss here does not apply to private inholders. It applies to the national forest service lands. The alliance claims the proposed forest management plan will harm water and air quality, old-growth forest stands, wildlife, as well as Roberts Gap recreational assets, which includes the popular Hawksbill Crag, Whitaker Point Trail, and Scenic Overlook. USDA National Forest agents claim the project, after several years of study and public input, will have no significant impact. So the Forest Service uses a euphemism, timber stand improvement, uh, to apply to a number of practices that they'll Im- uh, implement on this area. Everything from timber harvesting to timber thinning to salvage of timber. Um, and so there'll be a total of about 11,000 acres that will receive some form of that timber management. Watkins says treetops are not removed after logging, creating lots of forest debris. The plan also calls for 70 miles of dirt road construction to deploy the project and 20 miles of dozer lines that will service fire breaks. Uh, it's, a, it's a permanent scar on the landscape. It, it changes the flow path of water across the landscape. It can lead to erosion, can lead to sedimentation of the streams and, and degradation of water quality downstream. So those roads... And in addition to the roads, one of the other practices that will be implemented is, is prescribed burning. Uh, and there'll be 3,000 acres, a little over 3,000 acres will be burned. And it will be burned multiple times. It won't just be burned once. It'll be burned every few years for years to come. 
as part of their standard practices. The plan also calls for treating more than 3,000 forested acres with herbicides to clear dense understory vegetation and smaller trees. And they did reduce that as a result of comments from the public. There was a large concern about herbicide usage, uh, particularly being upstream from the Buffalo National River, which has 1.5 million visitors in a typical year that are swimming and fishing and playing in the river. Uh, to, to apply these herbicides uh, is an unnecessary risk. And so they did reduce the acreage somewhat, but they're still be doing 3,000 acres of herbicide treatments. Mature and old growth Ozarks forests capture and hold enormous amounts of carbon necessary to reduce climate change. But USDA Forest Service's stated mission is to reduce wildfire risk while maintaining and improving the health diversity, and productivity of our nation's forests. That work supported by timber sales. Since 2017, the Alliance has pressed the Forest Service with concerns about the proposed forest management plan, but now there's a new concern, the discovery of breeding Indiana bats. In the summer, there was a discovery, a significant discovery of an Indiana bat maternal colony. Now, Indiana bats are an endangered species, and so and they're present in the Roberts Gap area, and everybody knew that. But up until that time, it was always assumed that the Indiana bats left the Ozarks and went to the Arkansas River for, for their maternity colonies there, and then they came back after their pups were born and were viable. This was the first instance of an Indiana bat maternal colony being found in the Ozarks, and it was found smack dab in the middle of the Roberts Gap project. Watkins says with assistance from Earthrise Law Center at Lewis and Clark University in Portland, Oregon, the Alliance filed a Freedom of Information Act request to the U.S. Forest Service for full details. And they they buried us in, in thousands and thousands of irrelevant documents, from which we had to sift through to find the relevant documents. But the bottom line is that we found no documents, in spite of asking for them, we found no documents that reflected any discussion of how they would protect that bat colony. And with Robert's Gap Project scheduled to start up at any time, Buffalo River Watershed Alliance's legal team filed a complaint February 21st in U.S. District Court, Western District of Arkansas, seeking injunctive relief, essentially blocking the project pending full ecological review. The case is assigned to Judge Timothy Brooks. The Alliance legal team also includes Arkansas attorney Hank Bates with Carney Bates and Pulliam in Little Rock. And since we had exhausted all other avenues, this was our last our last chance to challenge this case. And so we're, we're hoping that the court will agree and that they'll be required to go back and, and do an, uh, an accurate environmental assessment. We contacted the Ozark St. Francis National Forest for comment. Public Affairs Officer Mary Wood emailed that the agency is aware of the complaint but can't comment on pending or active litigation. USDA Forest Service has 60 days to respond. We provide a link to the docket on our website. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. It's Friday. It's time to check in with Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, to find out what in the world is going on. Becca, welcome back, and what in the world's going on? Well, thank you so much for letting me have last Friday off because I didn't have a voice, and I don't know Morse code well enough to tap it out. I'd like to quit catching everything that goes by, but that's a whole other story. This week, because my brain is still not entirely back, we're going to keep it simple 
and I'm going to lay out for you what you can do all weekend, and then you can make your choices. All right, so these are options. Right. All right. So on my schedule for you, you start tonight at Theater Squared for Sanctuary City. Mm-hmm. This is, wow, the first half of this show is rocket fast. I mean, you do not dare look away. It jumps from time to time and situation to situation, and it's fascinating. The story is as deep as you want to take it. It's about a boy and a girl who may or may not be in love, complicated by the fact that they're both immigrants with undocumented status. And it's as deep as you want to dive into it. Okay. Showtime is 7.30 tonight at Theater Squared. Tickets start at $20 at theater2.org. Tomorrow afternoon, let's get a little lighter, although it's still got a moral. Community School of the Arts in Fort Smith is doing Footloose. Interesting, because it's young people doing a movie about young people, or a play about young people, but, you know, this came out, what, in the 80s, 90s? Yeah. 43 kids from grade 7 through 12. If you don't know the story, the central character is Ren, who left the city to go live in a backwater small town where you can't even dance. And when the Reverend's rebellious daughter sets her sights on him, then the plot obviously thickens. They have done, they put in a bunch of work on this show. They're performing at the Art Best Performing Arts Center. They've got a professionally built set. They've got an orchestra. It's a big deal. It happens at 7 o'clock tonight, but I'm trying to send you there at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. It also happens at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, and tickets are $22. Phone number is 434-2020 if you need it. Community School of the Arts. Saturday evening, you got to make a choice. I can't make this one for you. The Symphony of Northwest Arkansas is performing, and one of the pieces is by an electroacoustic viola musician named Trevor New, and it's going to be played in multiple different places, including the Walton Art Center stage. Yeah, but it's going to be global. You'll also get to hear Paul Haas's commissioned work that celebrated the anniversary of the Faye Jones School of Architecture and Brahms Symphony No. 3 in F Major, Opus 90. 7.30 tomorrow night at the Walton Art Center. Tickets start at $36 at sonamusic.org. Or... Also at the Walton Arts Center, curated by the Fayetteville Film Festival, the Arkansas Filmmakers Showcase, with films about parallel dimensions, reunited lovers, haunted games, a day in the life of a nursing home resident, and a terrifying flight. These will all be shown in one sitting. This this isn't one so much city. a festival as an evening. It is, an, it is a festival compacted into an evening. Well put, yes. Starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night at Star Theater at the Walton Art Center, and tickets are $15. I don't know where you get more bang for $15. Yeah, I'll just have to have a cup of coffee around 5 with these movies starting at 8. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not everyone is as old as we are, dear. That's a very good point. You're right. Or the Victory Film Series at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory and Rogers tomorrow at 7 o'clock is showing Clue. And they'd love for you to dress up and come and join them. It's $12. There will be snacks. It'll be fun. And then on Sunday, 
I don't know if we still have listeners that don't know this, but Pablo Picasso's at the Fort Smith Regional Art Museum. Well, Pablo Picasso works. Well, yeah, I figured they'd figure that out. <laughs> Good point, yes. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It's part of their, you know, big celebration year. 75th anniversary, and these are ceramics Picasso created in southern France, working with the Madura Studio. They produced limited edition pieces of pottery from plates to faces to pictures in the shapes of birds and people all over the course of several years and all limited edition to no more than 500. There's 46 of them at the museum. If it's been a while since you've been to that museum, the Ram, you know, make sure you explore every inch of it because it's pretty cool and I love what they've done with the mid-century former bank building to turn it into the Regional Art Museum. And if you go at 2 o'clock on Sunday, you can have a free guided tour of the Pablo Picasso exhibit. Oh, that's pretty cool. No registration required, so there's your Sunday afternoon. I'm going to let you rest Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And then Monday night, I don't know if you're going to be, you may be the MC of this. Nope, I'm not. The Innovation Speaker Series. I'm not, no. I'll be in the audience uh, just listening. It's an event at the Fayetteville Public Library, and the speaker is Boots Riley, who is a rapper, director, producer, writer, talking about his journey in the entertainment industry. And that starts at 6 o'clock, doors open at 5.30. It's free, first come, first serve part of this ongoing innovation speaker series at the Fayetteville Public Library. Yeah, it's, gonna be, it's, it's, it's amazing who they're getting to this series. It's really cool. And real quick, one more I want to mention. On the 15th, which is Wednesday, the Arkansas Cinema Society and the Fayetteville Film Festival right. will host a special screening of House of Darkness, written by Neil LeBute, which if you're a theater person, ding, 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 you know that name immediately, and filmed in Northwest Arkansas. This starts at 6.30 on Wednesday the 15th at Malco Razorback Cinema in Fayetteville. There's going to be a Q&A with the executive producers from Rock Hill Studios after the film. Tickets are $10 and can be purchased at the theater. Check out ArkansasCinemaSociety.org for more information. All right. Becca, you've given us quite a bit to ponder, several great options. We're going to do this again next week if you have a voice. You know, there are people that always look forward to me losing my voice. We are not among them. I can. (laughs) We are not among those people. Thank you, Becca. You're the uh, editor, the features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Always appreciate your time. The Freshgrass Music Festival returns to the Momentary in Bentonville May 19th and 20th, featuring award-winning artists Camp, L. King, Mavis Staples, Sierra Farrell, the Del McCory Band, and more. Tickets at TheMomentary.org. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting the Eureka Springs Blues Rock and Funk Festival, featuring Ray Wiley Hubbard and Marsha Ball, June 2nd at the Auditorium. Reserve seats on sale this Friday, March 10th at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Have you ever watched a romantic comedy and thought, sheesh, I could write a rom-com? Well, you're not alone. Three writer friends, Maddie Kelly, Mark Chavez, and Ryan Beal, decided they would take their collective writing abilities and write their own rom-com. And 
Through the magic of podcasting, we get to listen in to their process through the CBC Radio podcast, Let's Make a Rom-Com. I spoke to the trio last month and asked, why was writing a rom-com harder than you expected? You think about a rom-com, you think about them doing cute things. You think about them having fun dialogue. You think about all the sweet things about it, which, of course, everyone has endless, amazing, adorable ideas they come up with. But that's actually not an interesting film. You know what I mean? That's like a music video. So it's way harder to think about the math of how do these people come into each other's lives and have so much conflict, but we we still want them to be together. I watched rom-com, which I will not name, last week, and I thought, I don't care if these people ever see each other ever again i think they might be better off you know <laughs> you have to land the plane so precisely in a rom-com well what about the 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 two of you uh you know i'm, I'm sure you guys I, I don't want to define your taste for you but you know it's it's pretty stereotypical for for men not to be obsessed with rom-coms right I certainly wasn't obsessed with them i i'd like them but i think i'm recorded saying i was like well i'm kind of i don't really it's not my thing i think it's i thought it was a bit easy i was so wrong about that like cause, because it's formulaic i thought it would mm-hmm. i thought that meant like plug and play but it 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 certainly doesn't and it's actually made it harder because everything had already been done mm-hmm. uh but it turned out as we were watching as we were kind of like talking about our favorite rom-coms like i was like i don't know i don't have a favorite and then i realized i'd actually seen a lot more than i had because they're they're kind of everywhere so i liked them more than i thought i did I, I, I realized how much they had an effect on me, like kind of always knew that, but really doing a deep dive, like that's been part of my pop culture journey. Uh, and also like, it's hard, like, right. We want to watch people fall in love we, in, in plays in movies, you know, in books, we want to like experience that. And that's really hard. Just like writing, like something that's funny to the most amount of people, like, you know, writing something that we can all sort of agree on is interesting. And then also doing something new because everything's been done with rom-coms. It's been done and done and done and done and done. And so that was also the struggle of like, well, that's just that, or that's just this, or I've seen that 20 times, you know, so but it was very interesting. The idea so far is that the love interest uh, for the girl, her boyfriend uh, used to date Selma Hayek. <laughs> yes. And yes. And and I love how silly that is. Why? <laughs> um, and, and I think that, you know, Selma Hayek is someone that, like, you can be 20, you can be 70. Like, yes. everyone knows who Selma Hayek is. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, oh, my God, I would be so intimidated. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, why Selma Hayek for you, Maddie? Why was that someone who you were just like, ride or die, it's got to be Selma Hayek? I mean, there's, I think there's two factors. I think you're exactly right that, Everybody's threatened by Selma Hayek. There is not a single person, male, female, any age, that wouldn't feel like, ooh, like to be in a room with her. You know what I mean? Like that's just just her presence. On every level, she's funny, she's sexy, she's cool. She seems she seems like like she parties, but she also seems like her taxes are done. Like it's just she's just (laughs) together. And um, Uh. and also the name is for some reason the rhythm of the name was never beat. Um, we talk about being John Malkovich in the in the, right. the podcast, and I think yeah, his ex girlfriend is Selma Hayek. Just never, never was beat. Well, and there's also this there's also this element too of you know you'll hear comedians say that like a phrase is funny not because of the words meaning but just the way it sounds coming out of your mouth. Yeah, I think Selma Hayek definitely fits that vibe too. That like Selma Hayek rolls off the tongue, and it's just a it's it's a really cool name regardless of the person, right? Yeah. 
She has a bit of that thing The Rock has too, where like everyone of every race has a crush on her. She, like she has something for everyone, I think. Yeah, she's great. I think one of the things, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Let's Make a Sci-Fi, but with this show, Let's Make a Rom-Com, how much material do you come in with? You know, when we first hear kind of the pitches, the, the ideas there, how much material do you come in with and how much, you know, doesn't get heard on the podcast? Quite a lot doesn't get heard. In fact, I think... So I did like four or five that kind of serious pitches. And and then I did a couple little jokey ones. The jokey ones kind of made it in. All of my kind of like my, the ones that I really wanted to actually sell to these guys uh, didn't didn't make it. And I'll also say it's like though we do try to like write as we would, it's a very unnatural way of creating something. I mean, we do you do go in and you do pitch ideas, but just to like come in so cold like okay, we're going to make a rom-com. Let's all pitch ideas and let's Pick one and move, you know, it's just, it's a very funny way to work. But yeah, I think quite a lot didn't get heard. Well, I mean, there's there's also an element of this, too, that's like how much of this is like House Hunters, right? The TV show where, you know, <laughs> the couple comes in and they have like three houses that they're shown. But, you know, everyone secretly knows that they've already like they've already got their first mortgage payment on that house. And the other <laughs> two is just, you know, to help move the show along and to help to have some content. Like how much of this did you already like have a mortgage going on this first house? And how much of it is like genuinely like coming up with ideas on the fly? We're pretty good. Like there is like a split focus of this where it's like, we're writing a thing and we're creating a fun podcast to listen to for sure. But when it comes to like the ideas and the create, like that is us coming in and surprising each other with pitches. And we try to keep that process as natural quote unquote, as it could possibly be. Like we don't have like a lot of like help outside help clearly. Like it's just us three doing our best but yeah there is a bit of a split focus and um you can't you can't avoid that because it's two it's two podcasts in one it's two ideas in one yeah ryan beal mark chavez and maddie kelly are the hosts of let's make a rom-com you can hear more of our conversation on weekend ozarks at large sunday at 9 a.m and you can hear the podcast let's make a rom-com wherever you get your podcasts this is Ozarks at Large. This is the time on Friday's show we usually talk movies. We're going to do it again. We've been talking sequels because that's what Hollywood's giving us. Courtney Lanning, welcome back. We've got another sequel to talk about this week. Kyle, thanks for having me. And you're right. Another sequel on the menu. All right. Scream 6. The one thing about the Scream franchise is it started a while ago. It's not like they do movies every 18 months or so. I went back and looked at the release dates. Uh, Scream, the original, got its start in 96. Uh, the sequel came out, Scream 2, 97. Scream 3, 2000. And then Scream 4, 2011. Scream 5, last year. Scream 6, this year. So they've, they've had a pretty wide gap. I have to admit, I've never seen any of the Scream films. But it's a franchise that kind of, yes, it is horror, but it leans into fun. Does that continue with this sixth installment? Yeah, so... The thing about Scream is, in this, you know, for those who are fans, obviously the film got its start doing meta commentary on other horror films. So, yes, it's a slasher, but there's also elements of whodunit. Um, and, you know, the characters are also talking throughout the entire film about Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. As you get into the later screams, Babadook and just the conversation stays on horror movies because the characters consider themselves to be in a horror movie and they quite literally are 
as they're stalked by killer or killers named Ghostface. So what's different? I mean, is there enough different in a sixth movie of a franchise to to keep our interest? I don't think anybody expected Scream to make it to six movies. Uh, this film, I think, is even more fun than Scream 5. I had a good time at Scream 5, uh, and it really offers a continuation of the story and characters that it really put down in Scream 5. It's a more diverse cast. You get more people of color and queer folks front and center. And, you know, Scream 6 is really showing a continuing evolution of this franchise. 27 years in, anybody from that first film in this one? Spoiler alert, but in the last movie, obviously they killed off David Arquette's character, Sheriff Dewey Cox, who was always a fan favorite. You know, from the first movie onward, you've had this trio of characters that have been in every movie. You had Nev Campbell playing uh, the main character, Sidney Prescott, who the killer is always targeting in every movie. Uh, then you had, of course, Sheriff Dewey, sort of the the Barney Fife of the movies, just trying to survive from entry to entry. And of course, you had my favorite. You had Courtney Cox playing an intrepid reporter who uh, was not afraid to be a little sleazy at times in her job. Um <laughs> to get the scoop. Uh, she played a character named Gail Weathers, and by Scream 6, Gail is the only one returning because Dewey is dead, and unfortunately, uh, they couldn't come to contract negotiations with Neff Campbell to bring her back. So Scream 5 kind of gave her a smaller role anyway, um, and it introduced a couple of newer characters, a pair of sisters named Sam and Tara, who are the newest front and center victims of Ghostface. And Scream 6 completely pushes Sydney out of the way, Gail is still around, um, and these two sisters are now the the two front and center victims picking up the torch. And they do just fine. You don't miss Sydney at all. Uh, this is in theaters. Yes, it is. All right. What else? What else is available to us that's new this weekend? A strange film I know very little about, um, but we'll go see nonetheless. Uh, there's a movie called 65 coming out. It's got Adam Driver, um, and it's basically about him crash landing on a prehistoric earth and trying to survive when dinosaurs are trying to kill him as he protects a little girl. You know me, put a dinosaur in a movie. I'm going to go see it. <laughs> uh, do you have it? Do you know what we'll talk about next week? Uh, next week, I will have two movies for you. Ooh. One called Boston Strangler, which is based on real life events from the sixties in Boston. Um, and then I will also have a new animated film called The Magician's Elephant. So two non-sequels? Two non-sequels. Courtney Lanning's review of Scream 6 can be found in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney and I talk about a new movie every Friday. Courtney, as always, thank you for your time. Hi, Thanks for having me. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents Diego Rivera's America, the first major exhibition focused solely on the Mexican artist in over 20 years. It includes his works, digital projections of his murals, and three major paintings by Frida Kahlo. Diego Rivera's America opens March 11th. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a premier Northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Offering a variety of living options from apartments to village homes, plus a daily calendar of activities and events. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vista, and Lutherville. Hello, Johnson County. 
Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Pete Hartman, Michael Tilly, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. We also had help today from the news staff at KUAR in Little Rock. All right. The She Festival, day one at the Faulkner Center tomorrow mm-hmm. in on the University of Arkansas campus, that Walker Park reimagining session, 10 to 1 tomorrow, Walker Park in Fayetteville. The Diego Rivera exhibition opening at Crystal Bridges to, to the public tomorrow. Yeah. Um, the Celtic Crawl is in Bentonville tomorrow. I was hoping it would be. I think it's from like 11 to 9. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that involves a St. Patrick's Day sort of theme. Of course. Theme. There's volleyball in Barnhill Arena tomorrow, exhibition oh. volleyball. Uh, Razorbacks will take on UCA. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever wanted to learn how to make soap? I have, actually. Okay. You could go to Ozark Folkways in Winslow tomorrow. I love that. All the, you know, look at details online or Facebook pages for all those organizations. I just realized, Matthew, mm-hmm. it's March 10th. 33 years ago today, I hosted Ozarks at Large for the first time. Well, I'll be. Yeah, how about that? That's uh, a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 it is. Yes, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> okay. I, I, uh, I did not realize, you know, right before we hit the record button mm-hmm. on the radio, uh, I did not realize that that's what you were saying in reference to today is March 10th. Yeah. 33 years ago. Right. Um, if you had to pick one person that you've interviewed, that the interview bombed, and you wish you could do it over again, who would it be? No. <laughs> I know who it was, and I I can't on my bombed, last bombed, bombed on your behalf, not not theirs. Um, we've only got twenty five seconds left in the show. I because it <laughs> I me I would have to explain. So ask me that on my last day. I will. Okay. I will. Uh, That's going right. to be thirty three years from now. <laughs> well, uh, this uh, we've got Weekend Ozarks at Large, Sunday morning at 9 from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us, whether it's been for 33 days or 33 years.